Good morning from Gainesville, Georgia, and Airline Baptist Church. We are so glad you've chosen to worship the Lord with us today. The Bible reminds us this is the day the Lord has made. The scripture says, let us, if you know it, say it with me, let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're continuing our series that we're calling Choose Joy through the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul mentions joy and rejoicing no less than 16 times in this little book. So we're so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. Let's pray together and ask God to prepare our hearts for worship. Lord Jesus, when we know you as the Lord and Savior of our life and we rest in your sovereignty and in your control, we can do nothing but rejoice when we realize that we are sinful, unworthy people, but yet you reached down your nail-scarred hand and you rescued those of us that have been redeemed and adopted us into your family. Lord, don't ever let us fall down into being discouraged and depressed because you have clearly given us so much to rejoice about. May we be faithful to rejoice in you today. And Lord, for those that are watching, if there's somebody that's unsure of their relationship with you, that's why they don't have anything to rejoice about. I pray that your word today will penetrate their hearts and their lives, and they'll choose to accept your free gift of salvation. And we're going to give you all the glory for what you choose to do today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks for watching with us. If you're watching from somewhere other than our church family, if you'll do us a kindness of checking in online, let us know where you're watching from. Feel free to message us, email us, let us know any way we can minister to your family during this time of quarantine. Now let's prepare our hearts to worship together. Church 
so heavy compared to the promise that was waiting at the tomb. Well, I too have walked beneath the heavy burden. I've stumbled down the dark and lonely road. Trying hard Knowing that victory awaits when I reach home, so I'll carry him upon my shoulder. I'll bear the marks, endure the shame. I'll serve my friend. Till life is over, and that is when the world will see. Thank you. 
Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into our stream so far. Worship this morning has been awesome. Um, just want to take this time real briefly to mention Memorial Day. Um, I know we're not able to meet in the building this weekend, and so it can be real easy as a church to overlook Memorial Day. Um, but we just want to express, um, I want to express on behalf of Airline Baptist Church that we are so thankful for the men and women who have gone before us um, to give us the freedom, um, all the freedoms that we have in this country. And so um, if that is a family member of yours that has given their life in service, we just want to thank you so much for that. Um, and be sure when you see uh, veterans in the community, you just thank them uh, for their service and just being willing to put their life on the line for this country so that way we can have the freedom just to even stream a broadcast um, of a, a religious service. And so uh, thank you for that. Also during this time, I just want to uh, bring up our giving, uh, just another form of worship. And so I just want to remind you there's three ways to give. Uh, one, you can send a check in the mail to us, Airline Baptist Church. Um, and the second way you can give is you go to our website, airlinebaptist.org, and you follow the link on there to give. And the third way to give is you can actually text the number 77977. All you have to do is type in Airline Baptist, all one word, to 77977. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to get right back into worship. So let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this morning. And just thank you for um, the men and women who have gone before us, God, who have given the ultimate sacrifice of their life so that we can have the freedom just to worship you. Um, freedom to worship you without persecution from other people. God, I just thank you so much for that. But God, I also thank you for our people and just the way they've been so faithful to give during this time. God, I pray that we'll just continue to be faithful to honor you. Uh, with our giving. Pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, church. Uh, I know this has been a short time for me being here, um, but it's been a wonderful journey for me. And I don't know if I'll be back or when I'll be back if I am. But I love every one of you. And I ask for your prayers on my journey for God's will in my life.
Take it all, take it all, my life in your hands. Amen. I can't tell you how much I appreciate Pastor Mike Wellborn and our worship ministry that leads us to the throne in worship every week. What a great concert we had last Sunday night right outside here on the hill. It just whet our appetite and made us more excited about the coming day, hopefully sooner rather than later, than we'll be able to meet together and worship in this building. There was a superb young musician who was an incredible violinist, but he was deathly shy. People stayed after him to do a concert for them, but he was just too afraid of crowds. Well, Finally, they did convince the young man to give a violin concert in the largest concert hall in London. He played with no orchestra. He looked at no music. He played for 90 straight minutes, just this young man and the violin. As soon as he was done, the crowd stood to their feet and erupted in applause. But oddly enough, the young man never acknowledged the crowd. He looked around the room almost frantically, like he was looking for something or someone. And finally, he spotted somebody way up in the balcony. He saw that man clapping and the smile on his face. And then he relaxed and acknowledged the rest of the crowd. Later on, they said, what, why did you not acknowledge that people were applauding for you as you looked around the building? And he said this, just before the concert, somebody told me that my master teacher was going to be there. I really didn't care what everybody else thought, but when I looked up and I saw that my master teacher was pleased with my performance, that is all that mattered. He was playing, ladies and gentlemen, for an audience of one. I would submit to you that the Lord Jesus calls us to live our lives for an audience of one. That's the title of our sermon this week, How to Live for an Audience of One. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, and turn to Philippians chapter number 3. And let's ask ourselves, who are you living to please? Who do you aim to please? What is your motivation? Clearly, as we read the teachings of the great apostle, apostle Paul, he lived for an audience of one. And his soul's desire was to know Christ and to make Christ known. You'll remember, if you've been with us in this series of messages, this was written in about AD 61 from a Roman jail cell. The apostle Paul was jailed for being a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, 
Even in that jail cell, he wrote this little letter to the church at Philippi to encourage them to choose joy in all of life's circumstances. In fact, no less than 16 times he encourages them to choose joy in the book of Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. Paul says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There's one of those 16 times. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Verse 3 says, we rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Drop to verse 7. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Father, I thank you for the clear teaching of your word. God, I pray that you'll use your word today to give us a greater desire and a greater compassion to live for an audience of one and make you the magnificent obsession of our life. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your spirit. Teach us now by that power. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. If we're to live for an audience of one, several things I want you to jot down this morning. Number one, God wants us to rejoice in Jesus. God wants us to rejoice in Jesus. Look at verse one again. He says, finally, my brethren, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. It reminds me of the little boy who elbowed his daddy in church when the preacher said, finally. He said, daddy, what's it mean when the preacher says, finally, when he's preaching? Daddy looked at the little boy and said, absolutely nothing. Doesn't mean anything with our preacher. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul. He said, finally, but yet he had two more chapters to write in this letter here. Are we rejoicing in the Lord? Do you choose to rejoice in the Lord? How do we rejoice in the Lord, even in a time of pandemic and record unemployment and all the things that are going on in our world today, such sickness that so many people have? He says you can keep choosing joy by remembering what Jesus had done. Look again at verse 1. He said, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. To safeguard your faith. That word safeguard literally means to guard against deception and discouragement. He said, I'm reminding you of what Jesus did to guard you from deception and discouragement. I'm reminding you that the best is yet to come when we get to heaven to be with him. And so, ladies and gentlemen, it's nearly impossible to fret and to worry when my mind is fixed on Jesus. When my mind is fixed on Jesus, I can't help but rejoice in him. I can't help but rejoice in the promises of his word. Even in the most difficult times of my life, I know it's only temporary. I know the best is yet to come when I see Jesus. That's number one. You're listening well today. Write this down. Number two, God warns us to beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. Look at verse two. He says, watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. In the midst of encouraging them to choose joy, he gives a stern warning about false teachers, those that would twist and distort the word of God. You can clearly see the Apostle Paul had absolutely zero desire to be politically correct. He didn't mind calling people out when they needed to be called out. So it's not like we have to live like Pollyannas and everybody has their best life now and everything's okay. doesn't matter what you believe. You believe what you want to believe. I believe what I want to believe. No. What does the Bible say? That's got to be the basis of our belief. So Paul had stood firm against people that were known as Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who had been Jewish and became born again, who now said those who are Gentiles who want to be Christians, they've got to go through some of the Old Testament sacrificial system, some of the Old Testament ceremonial system, specifically circumcision specifically that and so that's why he called them mutilators he they were requiring them to mutilate their flesh and you remember from church history and and acts chapter number 15 they had the jerusalem council they met to decide that for the first century church are we still required to live by the ceremonial laws of the old testament and the answer was no Paul called these people dogs, not D-A-W-G-S, like those of us who are Georgia Bulldogs, but dogs was an insult. 
Now, today we live in such a sophisticated culture that even my grand dog, I don't have a grandchild, but I've got a black lab grand dog. My grand dog gets specialized dog food that my daughter and son-in-law order for that dog. In this culture, there was no specific dog food, so dogs were pretty much scavengers. They just ate garbage and dead stuff and anything they could find. So when you call somebody a dog, that was a, a great insult. Paul goes on to not just call them dogs, but he calls them evildoers. These were evildoers, but yet there were these pseudo-super-spiritual people who bragged about how spiritual they were. And he says they're dogs and they're mutilators. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8 says this, talking about people that twist the word of God. Let God's curse fall on anyone, he says, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again that we have what we've said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. Let that person be cursed. The original language really says let that person be damned. That's a strong word. Strong words of condemnations for skinning and grinning preachers who want to build an audience and twist the word of God and tickle the ears of people. You know, just because somebody has a pulpit and a television audience does not mean they're telling the truth according to the word of God. The inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God must always be our standard. And I've told this church and other churches where I've served, you don't believe it because I said it. You better always go back to the word of God and make sure that what I'm telling you jives. There's a 70s word for you. It jives with the word of God. In Acts chapter 17, we're reminded what to be like the Berean Christians. The Bible says the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They did what? They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. We've got to beware of false teachers, particularly in this culture when there's 24-hour Christian television that may or may not be biblical television. Number three, write this down. God warns us not to rely on our own efforts. God warns us not to rely on our own efforts. He was reminding them and us that I can't do anything to earn God's favor. Look at verse 3. Paul says, For we, we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, he said. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, Paul says, I, got, I have even more. Why? Verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. God is warning us through the Apostle Paul not to rely on our own efforts or our own pedigree, if you will. Write this down. Here's some specific things he talks about. Write down letter A. He talks about his family heritage. He said, if anybody could brag about that, I could. True worship honors Jesus from our heart, not because of my family heritage, my family background, or anything else I could do. There was a young man who was raised in such extreme poverty. The home that he lived in was a bug and rat infested shack with a dirt floor. Young man slept on a bed made out of corn shucks. If you come from South Georgia like I do, you're well acquainted with corn shucks. I've shucked a lot of corn as a young man. When he was nine years old, this boy's mother died, leaving him and his sister and a very uneducated farmer dad to take care of them. Now, in today's culture, they would clearly say that dad was abusive. He'd been known to knock his young son around at times when he thought he needed to. There's never a time to do that. After their mother died, the house became even more filthy. And that daddy realized he couldn't take care of these two kids on his own. So he left a 9-year-old boy and an 11-year-old girl at home while he set out to find a new wife. He set out to find a new wife and a woman to, take, to help him take care of those children. Well, while the daddy was gone, the kids became even more hungry. History says all they could find to eat was some dried berries that their mother had put up before she died. Some neighbors came to check on them, and they reported that the children were emaciated, they were hungry, they were left all alone, and nobody should be left in that kind of condition. I mean, would it ever even cross your mind to leave an 11-year-old in a 9-year home alone? Listen, for six months the daddy left them alone like that. 
Well, the daddy eventually came back with a new wife with three kids of her own. What a horrible childhood for this young man. The young man later on, when he grew up, he failed in business. His sweetheart died. He ran for political office and lost eight different times and had a nervous breakdown. Now, how many of us would be long past ready to give up at that point? Thank God that young man never gave up because his name is Abraham Lincoln, and he went on to become president of the United States, and he's known as the great emancipator who helped heal our country and free the slaves. Listen, I don't minimize your background. I don't minimize difficult situations that people have grown up in, but don't you let anybody label you. Don't let anybody limit you because of your family background now by the same token paul was really talking about some positives he had a positive pedigree really neither one of those should have any bearing on my relationship with jesus christ i should focus on him and him alone and live for an audience of one the second thing paul talks about is his education write that down letter b education verse 5 he says i was a member of the pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the jewish law Paul's ancestors were Pharisees. He studied under Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was the leading rabbi of the day. He had like the premier education of his time. I think about what comedian Louis Grizzard used to say. Some people that have more degrees than a thermometer, they've just been educated far beyond their intelligence. You ever known any professors, any people like that that seem to be educated beyond their intelligence? Paul said, you can't brag on your education. Nothing wrong with education. We ought to do our best. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. So we ought to advance and learn and study to show ourselves approved. But we don't brag on our education. We only brag on Jesus. And not only not our family background, not our education, but let her see he talks about our religion. Our religion, look at verse number 6. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, well, I obeyed the law without fault. Uh, Yeah, right. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Listen, religion never saved anybody. Religion can be dead, dull, cold, and boring apart from the personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living inside of our hearts. We cannot earn our salvation. Religion never saved anybody. It's not about our religion. Christianity is about a relationship with the God of the universe. Write this down, number four. God warns us not to waste our lives on empty pursuits. God warns us not to waste our lives on empty pursuits. Look at verse number eight. Paul says, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, my family background, my religion, my education. I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Nothing wrong. Praise God for your family. Praise God for your education. Praise God for your church family. But in comparison to a relationship with Jesus Christ, he said, I count that all as garbage. What are you chasing after? What do you pursue more than anything else? Well, a good test of that is where do you spend most of your time? What do you spend most of your time doing? What do you spend most of your thought life thinking about? And then go to your uh, bank statement and see where do you spend most of your money. That will give you a good indication of the things that you focus on. We are to live for an audience of one. When I think about the other things that capture my attention and my imagination, how does that compare with my relationship with Jesus? Paul says it's all garbage in comparison. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, We read this, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the love for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and in our possessions. These are not from the Father, but these are from this world. Don't waste your life on earthly pursuits. Again, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God, but keep it in perspective. It is for the glory of God. And number five, write this down. God wants us to live victorious lives. God wants us to live victorious lives by faith in Christ alone. Look at verse 9. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. 
Well, righteousness and faith are church words, and maybe you haven't been in church long or you've never been in church, and those words don't make any sense to you. What does it mean to be righteous? Right just simply means to be right before God. In right standing before holy God, I know that I'm a believer. I know he's forgiven me of my sins. I've confessed my sins, and I've allowed his blood to cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness, not being right before God. Then what's the word faith? Forsaking all, I trust him. F-A-I-T-H. Forsaking everything else, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to live for an audience of one. He will be my magnificent obsession. I can never be good enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't give enough money. I can't do anything. Why? Well, the scripture is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3.23 says. We're all messed up people. None of us have lived a perfect life. And because there's a God in heaven who's perfect and holy, and we're not, we've got a problem there. God's not going to let unholy stuff into his presence. So the Bible goes on to tell us that the wages, what we deserve, the price tag for our sin is death, to be separated from God forever and forever. But the free gift of God, see, it's free. You just receive a free gift. You don't earn it. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he says if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God resurrected him from the dead, we can be saved. It's just that simple. Acknowledging that you're not perfect. Acknowledging you miss God's standard of perfection. Believing that Jesus was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life for our sins. Putting all of your faith, hope, trust in him. And that's how we can be saved. But yet people who say I've been born again, people who say I'm saved, sometimes live dull, boring, humdrum, ho-hum Christian lives. That's why I say I'm just not a fan of religion. Religion can be boring with no life. But when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's going to bubble up with inside of you. You can't help but be excited about that. I know some Christians who like to sing the old hymns like, Oh, how I love Jesus. How many of you remember that old hymn, Oh, how I love Jesus? But yet some of those same people will live lives that say, Oh, how I'm bored by Jesus. I mean, sometimes I look out and, hey, I'd just like to look at some people who are even sleeping in front of me today. There's nobody here. But when I see people come to church or I visit another church and I see people in the choir singing God's praises but look like they've been baptized in vinegar and weaned on dill pickle juice, that's a problem because we're to have the joy of the Lord bubbling up in our life. We're to be excited about our faith. This should be a contagious faith. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. If that doesn't fire you up, I don't know what will. We want to experience the mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead. One of my dear friends, Pastor Cole Parker, said this one time. One of the biggest forms of blasphemy I know is to say, God, you don't excite me anymore. You don't excite, that is blasphemy. The God of the universe who rescued my sorry behind and I was on my way to hell and he's going to take me to heaven now. That ought to excite me every day of my life. So often we invite people to come to our churches or we share the gospel with them and they have no interest. It's because they've been watching us. Or maybe they don't want to come to our churches because they have been to our churches before. And that's why they don't want to come back. People are dead and boring. Listen, I, I like high-octane worship. There are times to be contemplative and serious. But the fact that Jesus Christ lives inside of me and nothing can separate me from the love of God, that ought to fire me up. So we ought to live contagious lives. I was thinking about some of the fastest-growing Bible-believing churches in America today. As I watch some of those worship services online or on television, they're excited. The people are fired up. There's an excitement when you go there. Ladies and gentlemen, we who claim the name of Jesus Christ, we ought to be more excited than 93,000 barking bulldogs. We ought to be more excited than people who go to, what's the new name of the Braves Park? Truist Park and do the tomahawk chop. People say, well, I'm just not the emotional kind when it comes to church. I've seen y'all. I've seen y'all in Athens barking like a dadgum bulldog and hollering at the umpire at ball games. You are the emotional kind. I wonder if people who never get excited about Jesus, do they even know him? Because the Bible says when you're a Christian, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus ought to fire you up. The greatest adventure in life is not to be a mountain climber or an athlete or a race car driver. The greatest, most thrilling adventure in life is living for Jesus and living for an audience of one. 
Now I get it. Hey, we're in a pandemic. People are unemployed. People are in the hospital. People have lost loved ones. We have a third funeral to attend to of a family member. I mean, it just, it just keeps on coming. How can you have joy in times like that? Because all three of the people that we know and love who've recently passed away are in the presence of Jesus. A shock, didn't see it coming, but I know where they are. And I know that I'm going, and so for the Christian, I don't have to tell these people goodbye. It's see you later. So when you have an eternal perspective, even in the most difficult times of life, we can have joy in our heart. Are you demonstrating that? Are you showing the joy of the Lord to those that you encounter? Look again at verse 10. Paul says, I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. And that's a curious statement right there. I just told you I want to get fired up, okay? Paul says, I want to suffer with him. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. What does that mean? When you're fired up for Jesus and people call you a nut and a Jesus freak, I like to tell them I made me a nut, but I'm fastened to the right bolt, praise God. I want to be excited about the things of God because we live by faith in Christ alone, even if, even if it means suffering or death. He says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, God said, Since he, God, did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Why should we think our life's more important than Jesus? If Jesus suffered, if Jesus was mocked, if Jesus was ridiculed, he who knew no sin, born of a virgin, never sinned, if he experienced that, who are we to think we're exempt from that? Who are we to think that we're better than the life of the only begotten son of God? Is your faith worth dying for? Is your faith worth going to jail for? We live in weird, unusual times that none of us six months ago could have ever envisioned we won't be in church together for months. We live in difficult times. What if the government comes back and says, you can't go anywhere till you take this vaccination? You can't even gather with a small group of people and worship, even if you social distance. How serious is our faith at that point? Are we willing to go to jail if that's what it takes to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ? We ought to be willing to do whatever it takes with a smile on our face and joy in our hearts because this world is not all there is. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through, verse 11, so that one way or another, one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. God wants me to live like the rapture could happen today. God wants me to live like my last day could be today. The Bible says, what is our life? It's like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes. It's over. Nobody knows how long we have. We're to live every day in anticipation of the soon return of our Lord or the fact that he could call. I mean, we're all one heartbeat away from eternity. You can be the healthiest person out there. In fact, sadly, some of the people who have perished from this coronavirus have been healthy athletic persons there seems to be sometimes no rhyme or reason to this whole thing so what's the moral of the story here be ready be ready to face the lord at any moment because for the child of god the best is yet to come when i get to heaven and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace jesus look at your conclusion here number one who or what motivates you each day who or what motivates you each day why do you get out of bed and do what you do every day is it for a paycheck? Well, that motivation isn't going to last real long. Paycheck may run out. Is it for your family? I praise God for my family. My wife has been with her mom for two weeks since her daddy passed away. I'm going to pick her up today, and I just can't wait. I got the best wife there is, but she didn't die for my sins. Jesus, Jesus is the only one that can give me joy. I'm thrilled about seeing my wife and hugging her and being with her again, but only Jesus died for my sins. We live for him, an audience of one. Number two, how's your perspective on eternity impacting how you live today? How is your perspective of eternity impacting how you could live today? If I realize God can call me home whenever he wants to, it'll make a difference in the way I structure my priorities of this day. If I realize that those that I encounter in the world as I'm out and about and going to get gas and going to the store and the things that we do, although we're interacting with far fewer people now, maybe it's online interacting with people. If I realize God could call me home today or call them home today, I'm not guaranteed another opportunity to shine for Jesus and point them to him. Let our perspective of eternity fuel the way we live for an audience of one today. Number three, are you certain you're going to heaven? Do you know that beyond any doubt? 
1 John 5, 13, John says, These things have I written, the five little chapters that we call 1 John. He wrote that book. That book is in the Bible. Why? Here's the purpose, verse 13, so that you can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to wonder if you've been good enough. Can I tell you, you can't be good enough. You don't have to wonder if you've come to church enough. You can't come to church enough. You know that the only way to be right with God is putting your faith in him and the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And the scripture makes it so clear and so easy. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Number four, write this down. If you are going to heaven, who will you take with you? If you are going, who will you take to heaven with you? I cannot take a bank account. I cannot take stocks and bonds. I cannot take a home or a vehicle. Only the souls that we have pointed to relationship with Jesus can we take to heaven with us. And then finally, and I do mean finally, number five, are you living for an audience of one? Are you, ladies and gentlemen, young people, living for an audience of one? Realizing that the only real peace that you're ever going to have in this life comes from the Lord Jesus. The only real joy you're ever going to have in this life comes from Jesus and a personal relationship with him. Do you know him today? If you don't, please don't turn him away. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. Your word excites me. Your word fires me up. Your word rebukes me when I'm wrong. Your word corrects me when my thinking is out of whack and out of line. I thank you, Lord, that you love me that much, that you left these 66 love letters that we call the Bible to tell us how to live a godly life. God, may we not get caught up in all the extraneous things of life, but help me, help each one of us to live for an audience of one. And Lord, based upon the numbers of people we've had watching our services each week of this quarantine, I know not all of them are Christians. I know that not everybody is on their way to heaven. You've told us in your word, not all who say to you, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not even all religious people are going to go to heaven. Lord, for those that are unsure, I pray today, right now, they just cry out from their heart to your heart, God, I know I'm not perfect. Father, forgive me for my sins. It was my sins that put Jesus on the cross. Acknowledge that and ask God to forgive you. Ask him to take control of your life. When we call him Lord, that means he's boss. He's in control. He takes the reins. He takes the wheel. He calls the shots. When you let him be the Lord of your life, and if you'll call upon his name today, ask him to save you, he'll do that. God always keeps his promises. You say, Mike, I know I'm a Christian and I'm going to heaven, but well, I sure haven't been living like it. I've let this pandemic, this time of isolation or maybe unemployment or sickness take my eyes off Jesus. I pray for you today that afresh and anew, you would turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And I know that the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Father, thank you that you hear us, that you love us, and you desire to make us more like your son, Jesus. Do that in my life today and in the lives of all of us who have studied your word together today. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for worshiping the Lord with us today. I hope you just didn't look at us on a screen, but I hope you worshiped from your heart. I hope you let the word of God speak to your heart today and impact the way you live the rest of your day today. Enjoy your Memorial Day weekend. I didn't even know it was a holiday weekend. We've been at home doing the quarantine thing, but if you're out and about with your family, enjoy this Memorial Day weekend. Let's thank God for the men and women who've given their lives that we can enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy today. And if you know Jesus as the Lord of your life why don't you tell somebody let's share that good news with somebody god bless you let us know any way we can pray for you or minister to you and your family if you just gave your life to jesus today that would that would pump us up big time let us know message us we'd love to help you get started in your new journey with the lord if you live in the northeast georgia area and you're already a believer you've already been scripturally baptized you're looking for a church to join we're praying for 120 in 2020. That's what God put on our heart. Even in this time of pandemic, if you're interested in joining our church, message us. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you've recently trusted Jesus as Lord of your life, you've never been baptized, message us. We'd love to talk to you about that as well. But never forget, whatever you need, Jesus is. God bless you. Have a great week in the Lord.